record. Awesome, awesome. All right. Well, it's another awesome Wednesday evening to be able to share with you guys the word of God today. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to be with us on this um Zoom study tonight, this Torah study. So before we get into the word tonight, let's just pray, invite the walk in the presence of the Lord. Holy Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercies. We thank you, Lord God, for everything that you have done. We thank you, Lord God, for keeping us throughout the week. We thank you that we can come together, oh Lord God, once more to feast on your word. We thank you, Lord God, that you have not left us alone, oh Lord God, to wonder what is happening now or what will be happening next, Lord God. But you always provide an answer for us in your word. I pray and ask Holy Spirit that you speak through me, oh Lord God, as your mouthpiece tonight in Yeshua's name, I pray. Amen. Okay. So as always, you know, we can say these tour portions are just filled with a whole lot. But this week we're we actually starting a new um book of the Torah, which is we know as Exodus, but in Hebrew it is Shemot, which means names. And the Torah portion is from Exodus 1, verse 1 to chapter 6, verse 1. And it is about the names, and it's talking about what happened to the children of Israel. After Joseph died many years, a new Pharaoh arose who the word of God says don't know anything about Joseph. Moses is born. The children of Israel are growing and multiplying, even though they have been put into um, slavery to make bricks and mortar to build cities. And so many things we see happen in this Torah portion even though it's called the names and we have a list of names that the Bible tells us that, you know, these are the names of the sons of the children of Israel that went down. Even within this Torah portion, we see that there are quite a few people that didn't have a name in this Torah portion. We don't know their name in this Torah portion. And after Moses is born, we see where he was taken by Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. And he was actually given his name by Pharaoh's daughter. Um, when he was all grown up, he decided to go out to see what was happening to his people. He got in a fight. He killed an Egyptian. The next day, he went out again. See, two of his brothers arguing. You know, he tried to intervene. And little did he know that one of them saw him when he had killed the Egyptian. And because of what the, the Hebrew um, said to him, Moses was afraid and he fled. So let us take a look at what's actually going on in this Torah portion tonight. So Exodus chapter one, verse one to four tells us, now these are the names of B'nai Israel who came into Egypt with Jacob, each man with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The souls that came out of the line of Jacob numbered 70 in all, while Joseph was already in Egypt. So as I mentioned, you know, this Torah portion is about a list of names. Um, we even see the midwives who refused to take Pharaoh's orders. We see the names of the two cities that the children of Israel had to build. And we even see the name that God gave Moses when Moses said to God, you know, whom shall I tell the children of Israel 
that sent me. But what really caught my attention with this Torah portion is the fact that the names of Moses' parents were not mentioned. Also, even though the Torah described Moses when he was born, it describes him, it depends on the translation you read. Some say he was a delightful child or he was a fine child or was a beautiful child. He was kept hidden for three months and he still wasn't given a name until the daughter of Pharaoh found him. Okay, now I don't know about you guys. I've never given birth as a woman to know what it feels like to really have that child in my arms and say, yes, this is mine. But I find it a little strange that a woman can have a child for three months and not have that attachment or to say, let me name my child. Is it that they didn't name him or the name that he was given to Moses wasn't relevant to what God wants to do in Moses and through him? So we know that names are significant, right? So what is significant about the nameless people in this Torah portion? And what is God trying to say about not revealing their names? So God, we know that the names of God denotes his nature and his characteristics. A name tells us about who a person is, his also his destiny and the nature of that person. So let us take a look at some of the names that we have seen here. So chapter one tells us that um, it was the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob. So is it Israel or is it Jacob that they came into Egypt with? See, there's a doubling of the names here. So Israel means God prevails or he will rule as God. Jacob um, is heel holder or supplanter. And verse 11 says that, Therefore, they set cast massacres over them to afflict them with burdens, and they built for Pharaoh's supply cities, Python and Ramesses. So Python is the city of justice. Ramesses is the child of the sun. So here, Pharaoh set taskmasters over the children of Israel to build him, quote unquote, a city of justice. But he's not serving out any justice for the children of Israel. And I, and I believe, this is my opinion, that the name for Ramesses, child of the sun, is actually, I say, a plan word, because when we think about who the children of Israel are, when we think about Yeshua, you know, he is, they are, God say, they are my firstborn, they are my son. So we could say, you know, they're, they're God's son. They built that city for, you know, as, as, as representation of, you know, who they are to God. Um, verse 15 in chapter one also says, Pharaoh, king, Pharaoh, Egypt's king, called for some of the Hebrew midwives. Their names were um, Sifra and Pua. Now, Sifra means fair and Pua means splendid. And we learned that because they feared God when Pharaoh gave out his, his command to them to um, kill the, the sons when they were born because they feared God, they did not do what he commanded them to do. And also, we see in chapter two, after Moses fled from Egypt and went to Midian, it said that the name of the seven women that he daughters that he met at the well, their father's name was Reuel. But in chapter three, verse one, it says, now one day when Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. So is it Reuel or is it 
Jethro. It's the same person. So we see that God is showing us something with these names. And Reuel means friend of God, and Jethro means his abundance. So let's take a look at Exodus 1, verse 6. It said, then Joseph did as then Joseph died, as did all his brothers in all that generation. Yet B'nai Israel, the sons of Israel, were fruitful, increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew extremely numerous so that the land was filled with them. So remember, when they first went down into Egypt, they were just given the land of Goshen. Now they're spreading all over the land, and Pharaoh doesn't know what to do with them because he's fearful that they, whenever war arrives, they will... Um, align with his enemies and fight against him. So I want to share this commentary that I took from the voice translation of the Bible on verses one to seven. It says, God has done what he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He has made Israel's children fertile, productive, and strong. Over time, Jacob's 70 children have become a nation within a nation, and the Egyptians are taking notice. History teaches the pharaohs and the ruling classes to be wary of outsiders. So now that the Israelites are all over the land and they are fully and they are not fully assimilating into Egyptian life and culture, the pharaoh thinks they pose a clear and present danger. So the Egyptian king decides that strong measures are necessary. The welcome that Joseph and his family once enjoyed turns out into outright hostility. So what, what we are about to see unfold in the book of Exodus or Shemot is God's promise to Abram when he made a covenant with him. So remember, God had promised Abraham that he's going to give him a land for his inheritance. And Abraham said to God, how will I know this? And God told him, you know, I'm going to cut a covenant with you. Bring me a, a lamb, a ram, a bull, and a, a dove, and a bird, and offer a sacrifice. And after Abraham did that, it says in Genesis 15, 12, it says, when the sun was about to set and a deep sleep fell on Abram, behold, terror of great darkness was falling upon him. Then he said to Abram, know for certain that your seed will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. Verse 14 says, but I am going to judge the nation that they will serve. Afterward, they will go out with many possessions, but you, you will come to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun set and it became dark, behold, there was a smoking oven and a fiery torch that passed between the pieces. On that day, Adonai cut a covenant with Abram saying, I give this land of your seed from, listen, listen to this. He says, I give this land from, from your seed from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River. The Kenite, the Kenizzites, the Kadomanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Raphaites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So here we see in this um, Torah portion where the Pharaoh is telling the people 
to throw the, the children, the sons, the boys into the Nile River. And God is saying, I'm going to give to you, your seed, your descendants, a land from the, the river of Egypt to the Euphrates. So here we're seeing now in this Torah portion, as I said, it's all about what God is about to do because of the covenant that he promised Abraham. So chapter one is about the oppression and the multiplication of the children of Israel in Egypt. It doesn't matter how much they oppress them. They just continued to multiply. Chapter one, verse eight to 40 says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel are numerous, too numerous and too powerful for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them. Okay. The way they dealt with the children of Israel is the same way. And it's the same word that's used to describe the serpent in the garden. It said that the serpent was more shrewd of any wild beast in the field. Or else they will grow even more numerous so that if war breaks out, they may join our enemies and fight against us and then escape from the land. So they set slave masters over them to afflict them with forced labor. And they built Python and Ramesses as storage city for Pharaoh. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread. So the Egyptians dreaded the presence of B'nai Israel, the sons of Israel. They worked them harshly and made their lives bitter with hard labor, with mortar and brick, doing all sorts of works, work in the fields. I want you guys to hold on to that phrase right there, work in the field for a minute. In all their labors, they worked them with cruelty. So here we see the word to know or what it says, the Pharaoh did not know. That word know in the Hebrew is the word yada. And one of the meaning is to acknowledge and it also means to recognize or to admit or to confess. So Pharaoh did not acknowledge the God of the Hebrews or what he had done through Joseph for Egypt. And we see evidence of this when Moses told him that God of the Hebrews appeared to us and he said, Pharaoh said to Moses, who is God that I should listen to his voice and let Israel go? So this Torah portion is, is called Shemo, the names. And it's, it's not just about all the names or all the people that we see mentioned in this Torah portion. At the end of this study, we will see that it all boils down to just one name that we're trying to get Pharaoh. And even at the end of this um, book that we will see, it's that name that God is trying to get Pharaoh and his people to identify that his name is above every other name. So because the children of Israel continued to multiply despite the hardships and cruelty against them, Pharaoh commanded the midwives to kill the males when they were born. But the midwives, fair and splendid feared God. See how God used these people with these names to protect his children. And because they feared God, God protected these midwives and he honored them. So when Pharaoh realized his plans for killing the sons or the seed of Israel did not work with the midwives, he charged all the people to throw the young boys in the Nile River. And that's when we'll now step into the story of Moses being born and being hit, 
hid for three months and then sent on the Nile River. So everything Pharaoh did up to this point was out of fear. And this it is the same spirit of fear that will cause Moses to flee to Midian. So chapter two, verse one to four tells us, now a man from the house of Levi took as his wife, a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and gave birth to a son. Now, when she saw that this, he was delightful, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took a basket of papyrus reeds, coated it with tar and pitch, but the child put the child inside and laid it in the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood off at a distance to see what would happen to him. So this um, basket that his mom made for him, it actually had the same component of what the Noah used on the ark. So it's kind of like Moses himself what was placed in a small ark on the Nile River. It says, then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river and her maidens walk along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew woman that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him and the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So she called his name Moses saying, because I drew him out of the water. So one thing when I read this, um, and it says that she had compassion on him when she heard the baby crying. It reminded me of when Yeshua was walking on the earth and all these people that were sick and they were crying out to him. And every time he saw them crying out or they would call to him or they would come to him for healing. The scripture said that he was moved with compassion and he healed them. So that to me just tells me that, you know, when we are moved with compassion to do something, it's it's an opportunity for God to work miracles. And we will also see that even in this Torah portion, God talked about, you know, his miracles that he will perform. So here we see the vehicle of death, which is the Nile River, became a vehicle of life to preserve Moses. And in this story of names, as I mentioned before, and we just read, it only said about Moses' parents, there was a man and a woman. We don't see their names mentioned. And I think we can find the hint of why their names were not, were, why their names were hidden, even in the meaning of their names. And you're saying, okay, Natalie, you just told us and we read that their names weren't mentioned. So how are we going to know the meaning of their names? Well, in Exodus chapter 6, verse 18 to 20, this is from um, next week's Torah portion. We see where it gives us the names for his parents. Verse um, 18 says, Then the sons of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. 
Kohath lived 133 years. The sons of Merari were Mali and Mushi. These are the families of the Levites according to their generations. Amram married Jehekabed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. Amram lived 137 years. So what does what is the meaning of their names? Amram means exalted people. Jacobed means Jehovah is glory. So what was about to take place in this story? Okay, so here we see where God is about to fulfill his promise. He's about to exalt his people and demonstrate his glory. But by not sharing who Moses and parents were from the beginning, God is demonstrating that he will not share his glory with anyone. Isaiah 42 verse 8 tells us, I am Adonai, that is my name, my glory I will give to no other or my praise to graven images. Isaiah 48 11, for my sake, for my own sake, for my own sake I act, for how should I be profaned I will not give my glory to another. 1 Corinthians 1, 28 to 29. And God chose the lowly and despised things of the world, the things that are as nothing, so he might bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human might boast before God. So we see that God is about to do something marvelous with Moses, but his parents aren't able to take any credit for it. No one in Egypt, no one in, among the people of Israel can say it is because of me, okay? It is because of God's uh, covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's about to demonstrate his glory for all Egypt to see. So Exodus 2, 11 to 17, we see now that Moses is grown. So we hear... I remember uh, when Pastor Lisa did the teaching in the month at Tivet, she talked about, you know, this month might be a month that God will require us to step out in faith, whether it's step out in faith to do something he wants us to do or step out in faith to, to speak on behalf of someone else. So here we see Moses steps out. He steps out to speak on the behalf of his Hebrew brothers. But what happened, so here in um, verse 11 of chapter 2, it says, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and he looked that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your, your companion? Then he, he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he thought he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and they filled the troughs to water their flock, their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them 
and watered their flock. So here we see three situations where Moses stepped out. First, he stepped out against the Egyptian and he killed, he killed them. Secondly, he stepped out against his two brethren. And because of fear, he fled. The third time, he stepped out against the shepherds who did not want the um the priests of Midian daughters to water the flock. So he stepped out against them. But here's something different that happened. And I want us to think about it. What happened between his journey from Egypt to Midian that made him change his maybe his composure or his demeanor in how he handled the situation with these shepherds. See, the first time he killed an Egyptian, the second time fear gripped his heart. And the third time, all is said, he stood up and helped them and watered their flock. So it's as if Moses had a transformation on his journey from Egypt to Midian. And when I think about where he left to where he ended up, to me, it's a little funny because when we think about the meaning of the word Egypt, right? Egypt means double straits or it's a, it's a, it's a narrow place or a place that will press you, you know, and, and, and squeeze you. And we see, we saw this with the children of Israel, how they were squeezed, how they were afflicted, you know, even as they multiplied and grew because of Pharaoh's fear. And Midian means um, strife. The land of Midian is a land of people of strife. And here we see, even as he went to the well, his first encounter was strife between the herdsmen and the daughters of Midian. So for to me, I thought it was funny, but I know it's like, it's divinely orchestrated by God because here, as he entered Midian, the land of strife, he encounters the daughter of the priest of Midian, whose name, the first name that was mentioned, means he was a friend of God. And the second name is his abundance. And there on, as we continue through this um through this book, we will see how God used Jethro, Moses' father-in-law as you know to be very instrumental in how he handles his responsibility as leaders among the children of Israel so now we see the sons remember this the sons of Israel went down into Egypt as shepherds but through fear the king of Egypt turned them into slaves making bricks and mortar so in a sense they lost a part of who they are as shepherds. And remember, when they first went in, we learned that shepherds are an abomination to Egyptians. So now that they're no longer, you know, out with the sheep, they are, you know, they gave them tasks in the field to make bricks and mortar. So it's kind of like they're stripping them of who they are in their identity. So I believe that Moses had to go down to Midian so that he learned to become a shepherd so that he could lead God's people out of Egypt through the wilderness and into the promised land. See, God is the good shepherd. Therefore, he needs a shepherd to lead his people. He's not looking for a king or a taskmaster. He needs a man who is committed 
to his sheep, not to the works of his hand. As we could see, even from the beginning, where when the Bible talks about Cain and Abel, it says Abel was the first shepherd that the Bible actually says he was a shepherd and his brother was a tiller of the ground. And we saw how the serpent before had dealt shrewdly with Eve and caused them to lose their position in the garden. So man would now have to go out into the field and depend on the works of his hand instead of the good shepherd that God is. So here we see when we look at, you know, how does being a shepherd and align with what really is going on in this Torah portion, or even Cain being a tiller of the ground. That word tiller is in the Hebrew, it's habad, and it means to work by implication, to serve or to till, to enslave, to be kept in bondage, to be in bond service or compelled to do, to make serve. Or if you are in service to the Lord, it means to worship, to work, or to be a worshiper. So here we see that Cain was a tiller of the ground. And remember, when he brought his offering to the Lord, he did not brought the best because he was a slave to the ground when Cain brought his offering. David was a shepherd before he became a king. You could read um, Psalm 20, 23. David talked about the Lord being his shepherd you know verse one to three i'll just read says the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures he leaves me beside still waters what are we dealing with in this torah portion waters and shepherds he restores my soul he leaves me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake yeshua came as the good shepherd for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he will return as the reigning king, according to John chapter 10. See, what I noticed from studying and reading is that all the patriarchs from Abel to David were shepherds. Even it talks about Rebecca was a shepherd. Rachel was a shepherd. Um, Moses' wife, Zipporah, was a shepherdess, right? So we see that's always a pattern for God's people. Now, the only person that I noticed was not a shepherd is Noah. Genesis 9, 20 tells us, but Noah began to be a husbandman and he planted a vineyard. It's as if Noah stepped out of time after he came out of the ark and he the Bible says that he got, he after he planted his vineyard, he got drunk on wine, right? And then we see where things started to take a turn for the worse for his children. So here we see that the Bible tells, describe Noah as a husbandman. Yeshua in John 15 described the father as a husbandman. John 15, 1 to 8 tells, Yeshua says, I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in me, 
in the vine, no more can he bear except he abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, he that abided in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Verse 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so you so shall you be my disciples. So you're saying, okay, Natalie, what does all this have to do with what's happening in this Torah portion? Let's take a look at Exodus 1.14. It says, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in bricks and in all man manner of service in the field, all their service wherein they made them serve with rigor. See, the first time this word for mortar was used is when the people, men decided that they wanted to build a tower and a city and make a name for themselves. And that word is homer from age 2560. It means to bubble up of water or a wave or earth or mirror or like clay, also a heap and a homer or a dry measure the clay or a heap or a homer mere or motion. This word is the same word that points us back to when the Lord gave the command to count the omer, the word martyr for mortar. And brick is lebana or lebana. It's from H3835, a brick, and it's the word laban, which is where we get laban in English. And we know who Uncle Laban is, and it means to make one white or to make bricks. And we all know what Uncle Laban did to Jacob while he was living with him for 20 years. So we see where it's not just about, you know, the names and how the children of Israel were perceived, but it was about trying to make that connection showing us that all through what happened with Joseph, what's happening now with Moses, God has always been demonstrating who he is through these names. So we come into chapter three, Moses has an encounter with a burning bush. So Genesis 3, 13 and 22, after God has Moses had this encounter with God at the burning bush and God told him, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh because I've seen what has been happening to my people and I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Here in chapter three, verse 13 said, then Moses said to God, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, I want you guys to pay real close attention to what I am reading here. Because when I saw this, to me, all the time when I read this, I thought, you know, that was the name that God said to tell them. I am who I am. But listen to it again. It says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. It says God says, I am who I am. What do you want to know my name for? Okay, I am who I am. And he said, this is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. I am 
sent you. I am. So it doesn't matter what they want to call him. It is I am sent you. God furthermore said to Moses, this is what you shall say to the, the sons of Israel. Now, this right here totally blew my mind because when I saw this when I, and I read it, I was like, oh my goodness, this is pretty much the essence of the Torah portion, the essence of our faith, and the essence of the God whom we serve. And it says this, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. What's his name forever? The God of Jacob. Sorry, the God of your forefathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That's what he said is my name forever. And this is the name for all generations to use to call upon me. So this is like, this is the heritage of our faith. This is the inheritance of our faith. So when we declare that we are serving God, if the God we are serving isn't the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, you are not serving the true and the living God. Because that's why he says, this is my name forever. So when we serve, see, remember, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they had many gods. And the challenge was about the name of his, it was, the challenge was about the names and the name of his gods. And even with the, as we go through this, um, the tour, this tour portion, and even when it, we go through everything, all the plagues that God brought upon Pharaoh, he says, you know, I am going to, it's always, I am going to demonstrate who I am. See, so he is demonstrating. And remember, it says that God was doing what he promised Abraham when he made a covenant with him. So everything that we have inherited through faith, it comes through our faith and it comes through the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So when we live and we believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our lives is different from everyone else. Our standard is different from everyone else. So we have to live to honor that name. Verse 16, God says, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of oppression of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will pay attention to what you say and you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt and you will say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that the, that the so that we may sacrifice to the Lord, our God, but I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. Verse 20 says, so I will reach out with my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles. 
Now, some translations say wanders, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. So here we see that God says he is a, he will stretch out his hand and strike Egypt with all his miracles. I never thought about the plagues as miracles before until I read it in this translation. And the plagues we know are judgments upon Pharaoh in Egypt. But God is saying they are my miracles. And as we take a look at the word miracles, it's pala. And it means to separate, to distinguish literally or figuratively by implication to be or to make great difficult miracles perform separate or wondrous, wondrous things or work wondrously. So even in this word, we see there are a couple of things that God did with the children of Israel. He separated them and he made a distinction between them and the Egyptians. So my thought, this is just a th thought and it's something maybe you can ponder it too. Can it be that when we experience a miracle, there is a judgment against someone else? Just a thought, something to ponder. And when I thought about that, I started to think about some different stories in the Bible. And maybe we can all share those, you know, in our chat afterwards, but just something for us to ponder. So the first time this word is used, it is in Genesis 18, 14, talking to Abraham and Sarah. And this is before Sarah had Isaac. It says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And that word is, is, is used double. So we see, is anything too hard for the Lord? So the, the word that is used for is, is actually that word pala, and too hard is the same word pala. So God is saying miracles and miracles is not too hard for him. At the appointed time, I will turn unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. We also see it used in Exodus 3.20. This is where God says, I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders. So it's either wonders or miracles. However you want to put it, it's all about God doing something marvelous. I will do in the midst thereof, and after that, he will let you go. So we see the enemy, when it comes to God's people, the enemy will do anything in his power to distract and to oppress so that you don't have the strength to hope for God's promises. And this is what we saw even in this Torah portion as when Moses went to the children of Israel, he told them, you know, God appeared to him and he told the leaders and they went to Pharaoh and Pharaoh said, you know, who is this God that I should listen to him? And after that, instead of letting them go to worship God, Pharaoh said, okay, since you guys are so lazy and you have nothing to do, I'm just going to make your life even harder. 
he instead of he told the taskmasters don't give them any straw let them go find their own straw to make bricks right so because of how they were being treated even the same quota of bricks was required for them to make each day even they they weren't receiving the same material to produce what they produced before so the people became weary and they started crying out to Moses and said to Moses, what have you done to us? So the enemy will always oppress and distract so you won't be able to have hope for God's promises. There are going to be some people who will not know you or acknowledge you in this life. But that's okay because God sees you and God hears you. And that is what God told Israel, Exodus 3, 7. And the Lord said, I surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. So we know that Moses, when God called him, Moses gave a whole lot of excuses why he can't go to Egypt. He said, I am not eloquent enough. My tongue is too heavy. I can't speak well. But God says, no problem. I am sending you out, okay? He says, I am the one who made your mouth. I am the one who caused the mouth to speak. I am the one who caused the mouth to be dumb. I am the one who will teach you what to say, okay? And here in Exodus 4, we see where Moses and God is having this dialogue. And Moses, even after God tell him, you know, I am with you, I will put the words in your mouth what to say, Moses begged God to send his word by another hand. So here we see in chapter 4, God said to Moses, verse 11 says, So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who has made you mute, the deaf, the see, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever you may send. Now that to me was interesting because he is here was Moses giving his excuses about his mouth and his speech, but now he's telling the Lord, send by the hand of whomever you want to send. So the Lord became angry with him and he said, okay, Aaron is coming on the way and I will tell him, you tell him everything that I've spoken to you and he will be your mouthpiece, I will speak. But that statement that Moses made, the hand of whomever, kind of stuck with me a little bit and I remember uh when Yeshua before he even began his earthly ministry when he was about to be baptized we see the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descending on him and the Lord said this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased see even before his tax Yeshua he just willingly was willing to lay down his life and then John 10, 28 to 30, Yeshua says, and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. 
my father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them from my father's hand i and my father are one so even in moses declaration we see that it was also pointing to yeshua or messiah who will come not just for the lost tribe of the house of israel but for all those who will come to him in faith believing in the god of abraham isaac and jacob and when he gathers us together in his hand no man not even the enemy can pluck us out of his hands so we are held secure in yeshua's hands we don't have to worry about what the enemy is doing because god will always fight our battles he's our shield he's our buckler he's our refuge he's our strength he's our defense and just like he told abraham i am your exceeding great reward so as we close this torah portion we see where God told Moses after the children of Israel said to him, you know, what have you done to us? You have made us a stench in this land. And God went, Moses went back to Adonai. Chapter six closes, verse one closes with Mo, Adonai telling Moses, don't worry. You will see what I am about to do to Egypt with an outstretched hand doing all my marvelous works. So this Torah portion has showed us that it is all about the name, not just about all the names or just about the children of Israel that went down to Egypt or, you know, Moses' parents or Pharaoh's daughter, but it's about the name that is above every name. And at his name, we will see through as we continue our Torah study, that at his name, Pharaoh and the Egyptians will, will bow, even though they don't want to. So I hope you guys enjoy this word tonight. Thank